in a cheesy-looking flat-type room. And the shades are drawn. You see these green shades that are all cracked, and you can see the blinking of a cheap hotel sign outside there. And there's one guy standing over next to the window, and he's got his gat, and he's looking. And another guy is... is got a chair propped up against the door, and he's sitting over there, crouched, looking very angry. And in the middle of the room, there's a table, and you've got all the loot is piled up. Dough, dollars, checks, diamonds. And there's three guys sitting around, and one of them, one of them is bringing in a tray from the other room, and the, the toughest looking of the crowd is, look, uh, I'll make mine a Pepsi. <laughs> I just can't help it. <laughs> Like the other day, the other day I, I saw. Uh, don't go away, Chris. I just can't help it. The other day I saw, I saw an ad, and uh, it was just so funny because it was for an automobile. And uh, of course, as you know, most cars today are sold. Uh, they, of course, the automobile manufacturers are having a terrible time selling cars now, uh, or how to sell cars. That's just the problem. You see. Uh, one one manufacturer comes on with a commercial that says, bigger than small, smaller than big. Another one says, bigger all the way around, but smaller. <laughs> They've got all these, the terrible schizoid split all over the place where they, where they, but there was this ad. It was in one of the slick magazines, and it shows this car pulled up before the portico of a very distinguished looking, what appeared to be a, a Virginia estate of some kind. You know, big high pillars and columns, and two Russian wolfhounds have just emerged with this tall, thin Russian wolfhound looking girl, and, uh, and a curving driveway, and you see this gigantic black monstrosity with fins all over it. And then underneath it was the caption that says, To gentlemen of real distinction and genuine achievement, this automobile says far more than any other single possession could. You are a man of achievement. It was in capitals, all italicized and so on. So in other words, the car says, he's made it. This guy's really a good man and he's made it. Well, the intriguing thing about it is that <laughs> is that almost every one of these do you remember this this big raid that was held in New York State where they got 67 of the top thugs in America every one of them was driving the same make of car <laughs> oh it's getting awful tough let me tell you it's getting tough oh boy it's getting tough and then there was this beautiful Rolls Royce ad that came out the other day and it shows this Rolls pulled up before a building that's made out of solid glass. You know the kind that were springing up all over here. They're all designed by the Erector Set Company. They come apart real easy and they put up... I have a suspicion that they're just taking down one building and setting it up in different parts of town. <laughs> what a, has, has, it, has it occurred to you that this might be the way that the Russians really are taking over our country? By buying up all the vacant lots? putting up combustible, perishable buildings, and then on a signal, they'll all collapse in 1963, and we'll be left with nothing but rubble, and not a single bomb was dropped. I'm suspicious about these guys. I was in one of these buildings the other day. I actually went up to the 38th floor of one of these buildings, and it was made of nothing but glass and long, thin threads of aluminum, all held together with little aluminum rivets. And I got up way at the top there, way up there, and I had green glass. And I'm looking out all over New York City, and I feel like I'm on a thousand foot high stilts. 
And I'm looking out, I can feel it swaying a little bit. And I said to this guy behind the desk, he's, he's behind this thin aluminum desk that had two wings sticking out, so in case it ever does go, he can try to glide, you know, he can, he can hit the silk. And I'm sitting up there and it's swaying back and forth. I says, Charlie, I mean, this was terrible. I mean, Charlie, don't you ever feel a little insecure? He says, insecure! <laughs> and we're both sitting there, and I'm holding the front of his desk, and he's holding the back of it. We're both swaying back and forth in the wind. Oh, boy. I suspect this is the real Russian plot. They're all going to fall down one day, and we're going to be left with nothing but little piles of aluminum and glass. And all of them will come tumbling down. Humphrey, Dumpty, and the whole crowd. So... There's this, there's this ad that shows the rolls pulled up in front of the, one of these buildings, you know, these combustible buildings. And this tall, thin, distinguished-looking gentleman with the graying mustache is getting out. He's got a graying mustache, and of course, he's wearing a Homburg hat. And, and underneath it, underneath it is the caption that says, Should every corporation buy its president a Rolls-Royce? Of course, you know the answer to that one. If they arrived at the bottom of the page and the answer came out no, that would be a fantastic. <laughs> Here it says, it says, it says, your president will live longer. Send the rolls to fetch your president from his home every morning. He will reach the office in better shape. During the day, emancipate him from waiting for taxis on street corners like people. At night, send him home in his Rolls Royce. He can do his homework on the way or take a nap. Do these things and your president will be a better president. He will also live longer. I wonder who's going to buy this thing. It sounds to me like the president is going to be the one who will have to sign the order for it. <laughs> yes. Oh, it says, oh, by the way, uh, even the smell of a Rolls Royce is a pleasure which the executive of a successful company should not be denied. By George. <laughs> That sounds wonderful. I mean, I'm ready. I, I, I like this. You see, we, we've developed a, a whole thing. A whole thing. We, we, we don't, don't, don't think for a minute that kings are dead. No, no. There's just more of them. Don't, don't think for a moment that the prerogatives of royalty have disappeared. Oh, no. Oh, no. They are with us only in the, like they used to say in the back room, spades. I mean, they are with us in spades. But real big. Did I ever tell you the story of J.G. the Upright Ape? How do you think it looks to somebody who doesn't know how we are? I'm talking about people. J.G. was an ape, an upright ape, a plain gorilla, who by one machination, twist in another, had found himself living in the middle of our century with people just like you and me. Please. Uh, I think... Uh, yes... I think guitar music will do it nicely. Yes. Yes, romantic guitar music will do it nicely. And I will give you the cue, Ed. Just relax, everybody out there. This this will even be funnier than Yogi Berra trying to stretch it into a triple. J.G. spent the rest of the evening wandering about the streets. His discovery of the picture of his marvelous wife had elated him. J.G. had come to America to search for his wife, Lotus, who was also a gorilla. J.G.'s home beat was in central, darkest Africa. Therefore, it was more important than ever that he do nothing to make his new friend, McCooley, angry. He felt that before going to the Hotel Van Dixon, he should try to study the jungle creatures and find out more about their peculiar customs, strange exuberances, and complex attitudes. 
he stopped in front of a restaurant and looked through the window. But the sight of people eating meat made him queasy, and he moved on. Remember, he is a vegetarian, a gorilla. He went into a drugstore, and after watching several customers point out specific items and then trade coins and bills for them, he grasped the principle of exchange that Judge Ponder had mentioned and realized that McCooley hadn't meant for him to eat the $5 bill he had given him. He entered a music store and listened to a recording of a man who sounded as if he were at the bottom of a well, singing, Shoot them in the stomach and they take longer to die, which is from a big popular hit, TV Western. Later, a tattered, narrow-shouldered troll with a decayed breath, who seemed to have no pupils in his eyes, seized his coat sleeve and demanded four cents for a stamp. When J.G. regretfully said he could not oblige him, the troll spit on his foot. He was unable to deduce anything from either of these experiences. Seeing eleven persons standing, stolidly, unmoving on a street corner, he joined them and stood for twenty minutes until an empty bus rolled up. The moment the bus door opened, each of the eleven made a vigorous and desperate attempt to be the first one on board. J.G. assumed it was some sort of game or athletic contest which required training and special skills. He, he wandered on and encountered a group of jungle children. There were seven of them of varying ages and sizes, and they lined up across the sidewalk, blocking his way. Hey, look at the fat guy! One of them said by way of greeting. The children wore faded, tight blue trousers, soiled T-shirts, and identical and elaborately arranged coiffures. Three of them had jackets, across the backs of which were stenciled the words, Etruscan Hidalgos. The smallest of the children stepped forward. Hey, you fat guy, he said to J.G., give us a dollar. Ah, tell him, Popo, said one of the others, provoking a great deal of merriment from the young. J.G. had an instinctive liking for the young of any species, and he smiled and reached out to scratch the child behind the ear. The child leaped back with a ferocious growl, and its small hand shot forward, holding a long knife. Give us a dollar, fatso! He screamed. Several of the other children took off their heavy belts and began to circle around J.G. J.G. started to tell them he was sorry he had nothing to give them, not even any conchy nuts. When he was interrupted by one of the children hitting him across the back of the head, well, he got three years. <laughs> I have a friend. Uh, boy, I'm telling you, I know that sound. I can tell it a mile away. Your phone is T A P P E D. Well, look, look. I don't. I don't want to talk anymore about it. Uh, yeah, Charlie. I'll, 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 I just want to get off the line. Yeah. Yes, Fred. Yeah. So long. I'll see you, Charlie, and hang up. Oh, boy. <laughs> you see, the secret is that Charlie immediately drags out of the swamp of his mind the reason why they're tapping his phone, and he knows they're justified in it. He sits there and sweats and goes back and tries to watch the ball game. And then he comes out and he dials weather. And he gets this chick on the phone with Sarah Weather today in New York City. And he hears that same hum. He's crying out loud. I wonder whether Fred is right. I never noticed that hum has just come on recently. And he, with quivering hand, hangs it up. And then in comes his wife, Mabel. He doesn't say anything. 
Finally, she gets up and she calls her friend Myrtle on the phone. Charlie watches. She finishes and he says, Hey, did you notice a funny hum on the phone there? Maybe we ought to have the phone company check the phone. So I didn't hear anything. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> relief, you see. But he can't believe it. He goes over and picks up the phone, and sure enough, there is that fantastic hum. I can tell a tap phone a mile away. He hears the voice of Fred. I can tell a tap. It's that hum. I had this friend three years. <laughs> oh, yeah, they put the finger on him. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. They played the recordings in court. <sighs> he goes down and has, has an egg cream at the corner. Stands around and picks his teeth and watches pigeons. He has forgotten completely about Yogi Berra's latest World Series record. He is concerned with a World Series record of his own now. What's that? I, I can hear something. They're tapping. Is it something? They're tapping it. What, what are they? Oh, what are you doing to me? Look, when I took this job, you, you told me I was just going to be piped into the tape room. You've been there listening. You've been listening all the time. I'll never... Folks, friends, everything you have heard before was just a <laughs> joke. <laughs> just a joke. Uh, uh, I, uh, I'm now going to ask myself, that was just a joke, and I was just kidding around. And for the next uh, 45 minutes, we're going to play all the top tunes. The temperature is now uh, 67 degrees. The time is now 23 minutes past 3. Uh, the news will be on shortly, and... Uh, Aren't you listening? Aren't you interested? Listen to me, will you? Listen to me, will you? Stop that racket. Listen, I, I just want to explain. I, I, I'll tell you. I, I, it, it started when... But you're not listening. I'll tell you a joke. I got a joke. Um, I, I'll do my Jack Kennedy imitation. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do my Nixon imitation. Yeah. <laughs> it's the one where I get the round look. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it never fails to make him laugh at Downey's. <laughs> the poor man's sardy. have the feeling that nobody is listening? I mean, nobody. It's your only friend. It's your air conditioner. Maybe, maybe, maybe your hi-fi I know a guy who's been faithful to his hi-fi for over three years now. But lately there's been a little suspicion beginning to crop up between the two of them. Yeah. If he's suspecting that his hi-fi isn't as faithful as all that. You never know what happens in those living rooms at 3 o'clock in the morning. His hi-fi, he suspects, has been having an affair with the TV set. 
Because you see, the... Oh, it's too bad, and I can't discuss it. You find little evidences everywhere. You just got one life to give. All you got is just a little blood. I mean, I'm so I'm a third of them. I mean, you can. I mean, you can do with a little third of blood, can't you? People used to say, you can't get blood out of a turnip. I proved them wrong. Well, actually, my boss did. <laughs> Three quarts. Three quarts. It's taken me years to work back up. But I'll be ready again for another milk. Three more quarts, I figure. It's just as bad for a turnip. Not bad. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Look, don't say anything about that hi-fi set and that TV set, you know. It's just a rumor. Actually, it's a rotten rumor. Started in Kilgallen's column, yeah. Igor Cassini planted it there, I guess. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Not really. But, but, I mean, there are some suspicious things beginning to show. I mean... For example, the other night, his TV set distinctly emitted a bass note. And his, his hi-fi set has developed an intermodulatory hum. Strange thing. It's awful. Oh, but I mean, it's really not bad being a turnip, actually. No, I mean, it's not bad. Get used to it. This is WOR Radio, your station for news. Attention motorists, W.O.R. now. What do you think they're going to make of this one? I mean, in the year, let's say, uh, 6785, when they're trying to sift through the, the ashes and the bits of tinfoil and the old pieces of metal and one thing and another that we will leave behind us, well, I don't know what to think of it myself, actually, so I don't know what to tell them to think about it. I'm walking along the street, and I'm suddenly confronted with this big poster over on Lexington Avenue. Big poster. And it's been put on one of these uh, fences that they put around old buildings that are being torn down. Have you noticed the similarity between these old buildings and bomb ruins? Those staring windows looking out. It's, uh, it's as though we're bound to make our own rubble. And I'm walking past this building and there is a big red and white poster that says in glaring white block letters, 27 weeks of time, only $1.97. And underneath it in smaller letters it says, you can charge it with your credit card if you wish. That's all it said. 27 weeks of time for $1.97. That's not much to pay for a life. 27 weeks. 
Let me see, how many months is 27 weeks? Let's see this. Four weeks, roughly five, let's say, to the month. Divide that 27, that's almost six months. Heaven's sakes, only a dollar. And it means I can, that the year is roughly worth, oh, four or five hours. See, an average man lives 70 years, we'll say. It's not bad at all. Crying out loud, why? See, four or five dollars times 70, it's two hundred and some odd dollars. It's not bad at all, crying out loud. Why, it's cheap at twice the cost. Twenty-seven, and you can charge it. Twenty-seven weeks of time. How much was the last, let's say, the last three hours worth to you? How much was the last three hours worth to you? I'm not discussing your union rate. That means nothing, Daddy. How much was the last three hours worth to you? Is it possible to even calculate such a staggering value? Or is it possible to pay such a tiny infinitesimal price? Depending, of course, upon the desiccation that time has wrought upon your poor old racket bones. Now, look, if you're a 15-year-old kid, is there a kid out there? Well, surely no. No, no. One thing about doing a thing like this in the middle of the afternoon, you get the, the sense of a gigantic void. Nothing but a great sea of silence out there. Everyone busy out there being sociable. But that's fine, in a way. I, I, I'm, I'm not against this, you see. <laughs> oh, yes, the better, my dear. To turn you on a spit to roast you over the coals of perdition. How much was the last three hours worth? I have been here since 15 minutes past 12. I have frittered away a portion of my life, bemoaning the fate of all of us, building blocks, putting them one on top of the other, creating ephemeral shifting visions. And you, in your turn have been doing almost exactly the same thing. Else you wouldn't have been here. How much is this worth to both of us? Twenty-seven weeks of time, just a dollar ninety-seven, and you can charge it. If you have a credit card, charge all eternity. You can work it, right? And, and, and oh, not only that, but uh, if you have the proper identification, you can just pick it up on your signature only. Drive out with it. Happiness, desires, dreams. It's always 4 a.m. Always. Sometimes it's almost, sometimes it is not quite. But uh, rounding it off, it's always 4 a.m. Am I speaking gibberish? Oh, wait, it'll be 4 Maybe. How much is it worth? I'm looking at this ad. This little ad. Just a plain little old ad that popped up right in the middle of the Herald Tribune the other day. <laughs> in black, black letters, I'm sitting back of a guy who's reading John Crosby. He turns, his, he turns his paper and folds it over in that official way that people fold papers. 
and I get a flicker of the ad. Block black letters. Fallout shelters. And in smaller letters above it, it says it's later than you know. I'm sitting there scratching, thinking, does this guy have some kind of an inside pipeline? This guy who sells fallout shelters? And what's he going to do? This guy that does build a fall... You know that there is a... That there's an article in one of the lady-type magazines. And the article is based on a simple premise that you too can turn that fallout shelter that you have into a second playroom. A second playroom. What do you play in a fallout shelter? Hmm. How, what, what kind of music do you take into a fallout shelter to accompany you through the Armageddon? You think there would be a transistorized, solar battery-operated hi-fi set to keep your mood music going? Hmm? Hmm. What kind of games do you play? I have a suggestion for a game. Oh, I don't think anybody'd play Monopoly anymore, messing around with plain money. I have a I have a game called uh, called Eternity, and it's it's played. It's played uh, just the way you play it Monopoly. It has a big semicircular track. And you roll dice. And each one of the players is given a little plastic marker, a little symbol. You remember how they used to have little shoes and little elephants and things when you played Monopoly? Well, well, well I'm going to have little plastic busts. One of them will be Socrates. One will be Nietzsche. Another will be Kant. Maybe... Moses, Christ maybe. We'll have them in all colors. You roll the dice. And you'll get little cards that say, uh, you've just been caught off base as a pragmatist. Go back to purgatory, miss two turns. I think it's kind of nice. Or uh, you roll the dice and it says, uh, you, have, uh, you have just fallen into favor with the gods. Jump seven spaces forward of past paradise. Collect 500 doubloons from the bank. Or else you roll the dice and you pick up a card and it says, uh, You are a positive thinker. Collect $50. And then you roll again and it says, You are a positive thinker who has just been hit by a bomb. Go back to oblivion. Pay 500 into the bank as fine. You will be absolved on the next turn. Or else you roll the dice that says, You have just broken the third commandment. Shame. Miss two turns, go to purgatory for the next two. Yes. It's the new fun game. It's the new fun game that's sweeping America. The new game called Ethics. And, of course, uh, the one who reaches paradise first is the one who wins the game. I kind of like this game. kind of like this game. Oh, yeah, you rattle a dice and it says, 
have just been sentenced to eternal damnation. Drop out of the game immediately. Turn all of your coin, money, and other holdings to the partner at the left. And of course, this means that you can go out and make yourself a sandwich. You're now dummy. You are out of the game. Yes, I kind of like that game. We'll call it ethics. And it will, we'll advertise it. It's educational for the children. Oh, you rolled your dice once and says, You have fallen prey to the Nietzschean concept of the Superman for shame. Pay $500. You miss the next two turns through eternity. I kind of like this game. You roll the dice and you pick up a card that says, You have just been caught off base as a Socratic gadfly. You now drink the hemlock. You are fined $500 and will spend the next three turns in purgatory. this game being played on the Jack Parr show. With, with Jean-Bierre. The little poodles that you was having, the poodles, I love to play these games called the Essex. <laughs> and Hugh Downs would be sitting on the other side, friendly, fence-straddling Hugh Downs. And Jack, vacillating irritatedly between oblivion and purgatory hoping that any minute now he's going to hit the jackpot and finally make paradise with all of his agents clinging like barnacles to his coattails as he finally... By the way, what happens, incidentally, when a gigantic star passes into the great beyond? Do his, do his agents collect 10% of his heavenly or otherwise rewards or not? This is a fine ethical point. I don't know whether it's been straightened out yet in the inner councils of Afra. Yes, it's the new game that's sweeping America. It's educational. It's called the uh, ethics. It can be fun. jug band. Or right, hold it there, Ralph. Just hold it. Hold it. Hold it there. 
That's that's the one, the little ten incher. That's all I want. That's all right. That's fine. Now just hold it there. Hold it there. Do you realize that we have just nine less than that to go? And of course, I'd, I'll have to point out something that should be. This is an in almost in the way of being a disclaimer. Remember one thing. I am just. I am just a figment of your own imagination. I am nothing more nor less than an ephemeral shade that has walked through the great fly drop of the theater of your mind. Cheap at half the price, or half the price is cheap at double the cost. Like my mother said, standing, bending, in fact, over that sink with one hand on the brillo pad, the other, the other on the faucet, as it made that sucking sound. It isn't the rain or downpour that gets you. It's the drizzle. Yeah, I mean, remember, now, uh, I didn't say that. Your radio said it. And not even your radio. Actually, it was, it was that, that, again, it's that figment business. I mean, who can help it? The other day, I see this little note in the paper, and uh, the Headline reads, Crazy Hat Party Held. Crazy Hat Party Held. It comes from Middletown. Miss Sally Wyckoff, Fairhaven, and Miss Jerry Powell, Middletown, were prize winners at a recent Crazy Hat Party held in the home of Mrs. Jerome Powell of Marvin Road. The party was sponsored by the First Things First Guild of the Red Bank, New Jersey Baptist Church. The First Things First Guild. I don't like the sound of that. Do they really mean first things first? Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'd better all just sit around and match funny hats. Maybe the first things first guild was right. Maybe this really is first. And right next to it, I see a picture of these two old dolls who are about 97 years old. And behind them, you could see another gathering of old dolls who are all about the same age. And it says, Whist Club. Holds 73rd meeting. The ladies of the Middlebury Whist Club have been meeting regularly in homes of members now for 76 years. They were stopped only once in 1926 when the great flood and typhoon hit the town. But, but, but ladies, I... As, as Grandma Moses puts it, the thing is, is, is to keep busy. Keep busy. And I suspect that's what it's all about. Skip Bain just reported from his little airplane that millions of people were bumper to bumper stretched out somewhere into New Jersey. What are they doing this for? They're keeping busy. Eighty-seven million pizza stands have opened from here all the way on out to Trenton. What for? Give you something to do. <clears throat> I mean, why don't we take a couple of minutes and go get some seat covers put on while we wait? Oh, just a couple of minutes. Give you something to do. Or watch the big boards with the big numbers. And then, then you can go down to Times Square and stand there in front of the planter's peanut shop, shifting from one foot to the other, and watch the big headlines go past. And that big old Times sign there. Marching past. Khrushchev sore. Castro throws chicken bones out of window. Ike silent. 
The great big things move past. Nixon charges Kennedy. More marches past. Kennedy charges Nixon. More things march past. The weather follows in just a moment. The weather follows in just a moment. Stay tuned for the weather, friends, as if you don't know what the weather is. Do you have to be told what the weather is constantly? Why don't you stick your head out the window once? I mean, look out. Look up in there. See, that thing up there, that's the sun. That big loudmouth in the sky. That is the sun. Just look right up at it. You are feeling weather on your cheekbones. It isn't the same kind of weather that the weather girl speaks of. What is it that this weather girl says? She looks out at me. She says, have a happy. Have a happy what, baby? I can think of about 45 things, and I'm sure none of them have crossed your elfin mind. As concerned as it is with isobars and all those little things that march across the map like that. Have a happy. <laughs> okay. Right oh. And I could just see them dragging this penitent off to the jug after he has had a happy. And he says, well, the weather girl told me. She set me off on this whole thing. <laughs> and RCA has another suit on its hands. Instigating riots. Because a happy was truly held that night. Come on. Why don't you be the first record holder? Sit upon my knee. Come on. Baby. Be the first left-handed chick in the 110-pound class. To, uh, you've already busted that record. <laughs> Actually, I'm of the opinion that it's earlier than you think. I don't think it's later than you think. I think it's much earlier. I think we're just starting this whole party. This whole fiasco. Why? Compared to the grasshoppers and the dinosaurs, man has just begun his tenure in office as the leading fathead on the globe. We've just begun. We have just begun to nibble around the edges of that big old cookie. So it's much earlier, Randy, than you think. I think we can... I think we can boost it up here a little bit. There you go. There you go. Just relax. It's all it takes. Huh. I mean, how can you get mad at people when they can do this? Totally meaningless. Has no connection with that Murrow at all. This is music to watch Mickey Mouse by. Here comes Minnie now, wearing her lady shoes. <laughs> George. There's Pluto the pup. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh, look at that cat. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, he hit him. Oh, for crying out loud. What a beautiful cartoon. You can... ah, there, comes, there comes Khrushchev. <laughs> look at him, buddy. Ah, let's stay away. Look out. Look out. Oh, oh. There's Ike. Uh, uh, look at that one. Oh, my George. That was Nehru just went past. It's a great cartoon. I like them in black and white. Oh, and there's Olive Oil. George, all my old buddies. There's Peg Lake. Hi, Peg. How are you? I haven't seen him in a long time. 
negative swing like that. Popeye, cut it out. All right? uh, for a grown man, that is not at all. <laughs> oh. Powerful Katrina, no less. I'm awfully sorry, you know. I mean, it's it's all that I have, really. It's very much true. Sit upon my knees, sonny boy, and I will tell you a funny. I suspect one day that when all of us are gathered looking up at that gigantic, great, overwhelming judge of them all, he looks down at us and he says, I am here to charge you with scoff law. What do you mean, Scott Paul? Before, before, before you make your decision, Judge, I'd like to point out that, that I've got an awful bad knee. Awful bad knee, Judge. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.